Welcome to the Mary Jane Experience. Unbiased, unabridged, and most of all, informative. From our mountaintop view here in Colorado, here's how we see the cannabis industry today. Let's look at weed. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're listening to this, stoners, I am Casey Jones alongside Strawberry Sequoia with another episode of the Mary Jane Experience podcast coming to you from the Green Room Studio in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, this week, we're not doing a cannabis podcast. This week, we're doing something we're different. Strawberry Sequoia, what and who did we talk to and what did we talk about? So this week I interviewed Madison and Shelby of Double Blind Magazine. Check them out if you're listening live on Instagram right now. They have a really cool Instagram page. Um, Both formerly were cannabis reporters. Who did they work for? Do you know? Uh, what subscription? Uh, whole LA Weekly, Vice Magazine. Oh, really? I can't remember all of them. Yeah, so they're just Um, general reporters or... Or worked in journalism. Yeah. Well, they both went to Columbia Journalism School. Oh, wow. So they're super smart. They're very dedicated to journalistic standards, but they are now interested in psychedelics. Oh. Yeah. So to start off, I just sort of asked them about how they met, how they got into this process, and, you know, we'll hear it from them on that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is kind of good timing because not only did Denver just decriminalize um, psilocybin, but also Oakland. So we now have two cities in the United States where, I don't know, the specific legalities obviously are different between the two cities, but I know in Denver, there is no more police force and effort and resources dedicated to um, actively pursuing psilocybin and mushrooms. Yeah, decriminalized. decriminalized. And Oakland yeah. is interesting too because they didn't just decriminalize mushrooms; they decriminalized a whole host of other natural psychedelics. Oh wow! Very I cool. can't name them all. Mm-hmm. Just give it a quick Google or check out our blog post that we'll be putting up later. Yeah, absolutely. There's some links in there. Very cool. So into the discussion that you had with Double Blind, uh, set it up. What did you guys talk about? You know, what were kind of the the um, yeah. so, your findings talking to them? We chit-chatted about why they chose psychedelics as a subject matter, Mm -hmm. which was interesting because as journalists, they love psychedelics because it touches on almost every other issue that's going on right now. And they explained that a lot better. So from a reporting perspective that I knew I wanted to cover psychedelics and drug policy reform more broadly. The first time that I went to a drug policy conference, it was the Drug Policy Alliances Conference in Atlanta. And I just realized really the conversation around drugs and medicine and how we treat our bodies, it just touches every single aspect of of everything. They told us all about the potential cures. Mm -hmm. So things like PTSD, anxiety, depression, um, and the ways that people will be going about helping with that. So clinics, psychedelic clinics across the country. We talked about, you know, modern medicine. Does it have a place? How has modern medicine failed us? And how can potentially these psychedelics change that? Mm -hmm. And when 
will that happen, which nobody really knows yet, but there are some organizations like MAPS um, and mm-hmm. OPS, Oregon Psychedelic Society, that are trying to push through decriminalization and legalization for medical purposes. Mm, yeah. Cool. So we could be looking at medical clinics, medical psychedelic clinics by 2021. Oh, really? Wow. That, at the earliest. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, um, if that was a, if it was fast tracked and, and there was some governmental force behind it, 2021 yeah. is that's wow. That's around the corner. But a lot of interesting things cool. happening there. Mm-hmm. The Shelby and Madison from Double Blind predicted that there's going to be a lot more decriminalization waves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully they're right. Legalization is. That's a be tough one. <laughs> tricky. I think we might get some medical legalization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Recreational. I'm thinking like. That's ten years, twenty years. <laughs> I mean, we'll we'll hear if a little. Yeah, I was gonna say we'll hear a little bit more from them about that. But that's a that's a huge if. Yeah. Because you know, cannabis is one thing; mushrooms, totally different beast. Absolutely. So, that uh, being said, if you're interested in taking psychedelics in a more guided experience than yeah. like the black market. Mm-hmm. Shelby and Madison told us places all over the world where you can have different sorts of psychedelic experiences legally. Oh, well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. We have, you know, I began clinics in Mexico. We have psilocybin retreat, a psilocybin retreat in Jamaica. Amsterdam has a just exploding psilocybin retreat slash ceremony center scene. And then of course there's all of the ayahuasca retreats that are happening in the Amazon and that will continue to grow. Probably a lot of people have heard of ayahuasca ceremonies, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. So yeah, I mean, just helping people to get over the fears and misconceptions, Mm -hmm. helping people change the rhetoric and just the vocabulary we use. Um, Something I thought was interesting was not calling it a bad trip anymore. Okay. And calling it a challenging trip. Oh. Okay. Um so yeah, a lot like, of cool... like there's no like bad runs, right? If you mm-hmm. just go on like a shitty run, you had a shitty run, you're like, ah, oh, that sucked. That was challenging. Exactly. As opposed to being like, oh, it's such a bad trip and this and that. So yeah. maybe you just went to a different headspace or whatever. So hmm. yeah, it's changing I like the way people see a psychedelic experience, even mm-hmm. if it doesn't, isn't all giggles and roses. Yeah, yeah. Even if it doesn't go to plan. Yeah. You know, it's still, there's some benefit there. So yeah. that that's another thing they mentioned, um, you know, Psychedelics 101 mm-hmm. is first off, of course, changing the rhetoric and going into it with a better mindset mm-hmm. of like, it's okay to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, as well as which we've talked about in cannabis a little bit is just like set and setting being yeah. in the right mindset, being with the right people, being mm-hmm. in the right place. Yeah. Very exactly. important. So yeah, I mean, that's a little bit of a summary of what we talked about. We talked about their magazine, of course. Yep. 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 Well, let, let's do this. Let's uh, just kind of jump into it and hear it from them. Do you want to set up kind of the first part of the conversation? What was, what was your first question that you talked to them about? Well, the first question I asked them was, how did you meet? <laughs> <laughs> Let's start at the beginning. <laughs> so Madison and I met 
at Columbia Journalism School. Well, that's not quite right. We went <laughs> to Columbia Journalism School um, at the same time, but actually didn't know each other. And then we graduated and had sort of similar trajectories. We both were reporting on cannabis. And weirdly, I was doing a story for LA Weekly, and I contacted her dad, who was a cannabis attorney, Bruce Margolin, and just wanted to interview him for the story. And at the end of the interview, he said, you know, I don't know if you know this, but my daughter Madison is actually a cannabis reporter also for LA Weekly. <laughs> and she went to Columbia Journalism School at the same time as you. So I uh, looked her up on Facebook and we had a bunch of mutual friends and I said, we have to get coffee. And we did and we hit it off. And it's, yeah, so that's sort of the beginning of how our professional relationship began Fun. I love that story. <laughs> you were meant to be together. <laughs> so interesting little meeting story. Yeah, almost that like six degrees of separation. Yeah. You know, you just you find the people that you need at the right time sometimes. So that's very cool. Yeah. And so of course the logical next question I asked them was how did they get started with double blind? There you go. Where did the idea come from? So Shelby and I both, like she said, have been on sort of similar trajectories covering cannabis and also sometimes psychedelics. Both of us really have a love for, I'd say, like long form, deeply reported stories. And, you know, we've connected over that. And Shelby, and she'll probably want to elaborate or tell this on her own, but Shelby was meditating and the idea just popped into her head. Do you want it, Shelby? Is there, do you want to <laughs> say anything else about that? Yeah, that's is basically what happened. I mean, it's so funny because, you know, I guess I'll get a little philosophical here because that's just how I am. We talk about getting messages from the universe and Madison and I both sort of have one foot in the kind of new agey woo-woo world and one foot in the fact based were reporters world. And so I've never quite known whether I, I really believe in this idea of, of messages from the universe, but it really was, I mean, I was no joke sitting on my Zafu and it just felt like this message <laughs> beamed down from the universe and into me. And I opened up my eyes and the first thing I thought was, I gotta call Madison and see if she wants to do this with me. And we had no idea how we were gonna do it or how we were gonna make it happen. But but yeah, she said yes. And from there, we've just figured out the details. And I love their story on that too, because it's very similar to how I felt about starting the Mary Jane experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were like just meditating and the idea just came. I was like, I have to do this. <laughs> I was like at a Red Rocks concert. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Gary Clark Jr. You're standing there. And I remember driving home, you're like, I think we have to do the Mary Jane experience. Or at the time it was called something completely different, but I think we have to do this cannabis podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it was just funny. We're like, all right, here we are. Let's so, yeah, do it. Very cool. Very what should we call it? <laughs> yeah, what do we call it? And then we came up with the Mary Jane experience and here we are. Yeah. Anyway, so that's fun. Exactly. So mm -hmm. moving on, of course, I wanted to know just why the interest in psychedelics? Yeah. What is the value that they really see in psychedelics for medicinal or just for society as a whole? I mean, psychedelics have been shown to increase our 
empathy towards nature. So it touches into it touches on this really important conversation around our current climate crisis. Of course, psychedelics and plant medicines, being that they, you know, they're working their way slowly through the FDA approval process, but being that they've been used for millennia for medicinal purposes, but haven't really been, you know, widely accepted by the Western medical community, brings up really important questions around what are we putting into our bodies and what does it mean to be well and who do we look to as the authorities on medicine and wellness in our society. And then, of course, I mean, there haven't been large numbers of people incarcerated for psychedelics the way there have been for cannabis and opioids and other drugs, but it touches on this very important conversation, too, around mass incarceration and criminal justice and who controls our minds and who controls what we put into our bodies. So really, for me, you know, psychedelics are just a way to talk about all of the most important issues that we're facing in our society now. And I just I want to add to that is the psychedelic movement or industry is where cannabis was five, 10 years ago. And what's different, you know, what's different about psychedelics is they're far less casual than cannabis. So the way that these substances end up being decriminalized, legalized for medicinal use, talked about, taken recreationally, et cetera, the ramifications of that could be far more profound in both good and in bad ways. So to have responsible reporting around psychedelics that keeps the industry accountable, that raises questions about who has access to these medicines is going to be more and more important as the conversation really takes off. And so that was another reason that, you know, I've always been interested in covering psychedelics as a reporter. And as as a human being, I kind of see psychedelics also as sort of this intersection of like science and spirituality and the law and where they all come together. And so, you know, the mechanism by which people are getting well with psychedelic assisted psychotherapy is often that they're having a quote unquote mystical experience that all of a sudden scientists are acknowledging spirituality in this way um, because of psychedelics. And I think that's one of the most fascinating things and what really inspires me to keep going and writing about this. Yep. A lot of cool things on that. I mean, a lot of this, you know, there's smaller things that we know or that we've already mentioned, like PTSD, anxiety, yeah, yeah, yeah. depression, but also just opening, opening up other conversations. Yeah. And it's a good point. Yeah. So I, I really love that. And, and just good journalism in a brand new movement. Yeah. Which is important in cannabis as well as reporting honestly. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, and it was interesting because I had an interview yesterday um, where we talked about, you know, including the public forum as a way of actually educating people as opposed to just relying on, you know, clinical studies and things of that nature, which are very difficult to get your hands on now for illicit substances. So, yeah, that kind of true and honest journalism that, that we're trying to do, it sounds like they're in the same boat yeah seeing seeing every side even the potential dark sides which Mm -hmm. in psychedelics could potentially be a misconception or you know could lead people down deeper darker holes so Mm -hmm. you know they're doing a really good job of that or they want to anyways yeah very cool um and so i wanted to dive a little deeper on the potential cures so i went in next with that on them as as curious for 
Well, that was my question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what can psychedelics do for people? How can it help people? Mm-hmm. Um, can it be medicinal? So there are studies now that are looking at psychedelic, psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD, depression, anxiety, addiction. Shelby, am I missing anything specifically? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, there's been so many studies. Yeah. Been studies it's, primarily in the U.S. We're looking at psilocybin and MDMA. MDMA mm-hmm. for post-traumatic stress disorder and psilocybin for, for a whole range of things. But one thing that I think is important to, to clarify is that a lot of people talk about psilocybin as a cure for depression. Obviously, depression is an epidemic. There's you know, millions of people around the globe with treatment-resistant depression, meaning that you know, they've taken a couple different you know, drugs on the market that haven't worked for them. But really, there isn't a lot of research right now looking at psilocybin for treatment-resistant depression. Compass, which is a for-profit psychedelic research company, just got breakthrough therapy status from the FDA to research uh, psilocybin for treatment-resistant depression. But really, most of the data we have right now is looking at psilocybin for depression among people suffering from end-of-life distress, so people who are terminally ill. The cures, quote unquote cures, yeah, <laughs> are still being researched. As like everything with the illicit substances yeah. that we're using for plant-based medicine. A lot. I mean, even cannabis. A lot of yeah. it's still. Well, it, I, we think it worked for Uncle Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because or he, Rick Sampson cured his cancer yeah. with it, and but know. as far as clinical studies go, yeah. St- Still working on that, but it seems to be really promising. Absolutely, yeah. Anxiety, stress, PTSD. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, there are also political ramifications to the concept of people getting well. So, for instance, Natalie Ginsburg from MAPS has been working on a study that looks at, like, ayahuasca for conflict resolution among Israelis and Palestinians. So when you look at the way policies or kind of socioeconomic relations are informed by trauma, by anxiety, by this sort of existential fear of, of am I going to be able to exist? Uh, a lot of people who are using psychedelics suffer from basically inherited trauma, whether you're, whether that dates back a couple of generations or, you know, several hundred years. And so being able to really reprogram your like literally reprogram your nervous system in some ways and through psychedelics and through sort of embodied practice of breathing through the psychedelic experience can really have huge ramifications for interpersonal relationships and individual and collective wellness even along those lines I was going to say I know personally um, a kid that I went to college with who was a marine Probably should have put my phone on airplane. Yeah, you're supposed to turn your phone off during a podcast. Oops. Um, (laughs) Please make sure your phones are listed on silent. This guy. Hello. So for me personally, I went to school with a kid who was a Marine. um, And I remember him talking about having not, not a serious form of PTSD, but just being, having gone through that experience um, having some issues, you know, with like he would hear a car backfire or whatever, and he would all of a sudden like be reaching for his gun that he didn't have on him. Um, and he and I and a bunch of friends took 
bunch of psychedelics in college. And I remember him saying like after there, there's a time he can remember before psychedelics and after psychedelics in terms of facing those fears. Um, so again, not the most clinical of studies, but again, good signs pointing in the right direction of, of helping people. So yeah. that's just one personal experience that I That reminds remind me myself. of, and something that Shelby and Madison, I don't know if they touched on, but addiction. Oh, yeah. We have an episode coming up soon that's about cannabis and recovery from addiction. Mm-hmm. And we interviewed one guy who's just got the most interesting story, heroin addict, Roxy's, which is... I think a pill form. Yeah, a pill form of um, painkiller or something. Yeah, He actually didn't find cannabis that useful for recovery, but he found psychedelics very useful for recovery. Yeah, interesting. So, and we'll do more on that in a later episode. Yeah, Stay that's tuned. coming up. <laughs> <laughs> but another question I wanted to ask Shelby and Madison was just sort of about the history of psychedelics and the uses in different cultures. So we got a little rundown on that. Humans and plants, I think, have always had a symbiotic relationship, right? We've seen that with cannabis. Just the fact that 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 plant has been used everywhere from the Americas to Asia, Africa, wherever. And psychedelics also, humans have been finding ways to use plants for medicine and for spirituality and the line between those two often being hazy in a ceremonial context where there's sort of an innate wisdom into how the plant, the the spirit of the plant and what that's used for. So, you know, whether it's the iboga, which comes from West Africa, you have the iboga plant from West Africa or the way people in South America figured out to combine different plants to make ayahuasca or even in the Middle East, you also have a combination of plants similar to ayahuasca called harmala or people eating the leaves of the acacia tree, which had DMT in it and is responsible for a lot of the sort of biblical prophecies. In India, people have been using hashish, which there also specifically is very strong and can be psychedelic. And it's a sacrament for a certain sect of Hindus who are devotees of the god Shiva, who's the god of mind-altering substances, basically. Um, And, you know, even in Europe and America, you've always had sort of medicine people. Sometimes they were called witches. Sometimes they're called shamans. It really depends on the region. And so right now, society is sort you know, I guess from sort of the 50s onward, it's as if Western society had quote-unquote discovered psychedelics when really at least in plant form, these were part of humanity that was integral part of the human experience forever. But from, I guess, from the middle of the 20th century going forward, when LSD was discovered, MDMA, there were more, there were studies, of course, at Harvard, looking at psilocybin and LSD. That's where sort of the history, I think, really sort of culminates at like a, a peak where it became part of pop culture at large. And that's how the 60s got their reputation. And now I think when people talk about the psychedelic renaissance, what they're referring to is really, a, you know, scientists reappreciating these substances in a very, in a much more maybe mature and tamer way than say Timothy Leary did back in the 60s and 70s. And so not to, not to sort of 
not to diss Leary at all, because I think the movement, I think the, the trajectory of the psychedelic history really needed characters like Timothy Leary to really get the word out. And, you know, everything was part of a process that leads up to itself, the whole Timothy Leary and then the drug war and then this renaissance. I don't think we could we would be where we are without at least that as the preface or the, the chapter before modern day. Psychedelics place in modern medicine. Ooh, that sounds like a good question. That was the next question <laughs> I asked Shelby and Madison. Will psychedelics have a place in modern medicine? How will that happen and what will that look like? If you think about it, modern medicine has failed us in a lot of ways. If you think about all the quote-unquote treatment-resistant depression or PTSD and the cocktail of pills that people are being prescribed and the opioid epidemic, you know, what we think of as medicine is as pills that the FDA sort of approves and that all these pharmaceutical companies are just creating and pushing through, that's not working. And there are there are medicines in both organic and synthetic form that do work and that have a history of working in cultural and spiritual and medicinal context that predates the FDA or any sort of agency that would approve or or prohibit these medicines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, has been really pushing for quite some time now to get MDMA-assisted psychotherapy on the market by 2021 for post-traumatic stress disorder. I believe that if if they succeed and they're on track to, because they also got breakthrough therapy status by the FDA, that MDMA will be able to be prescribed off-label, which means that people, not, you know, patients, not just patients with post-traumatic stress disorder will have access to it. Compass, which is the research company looking at psilocybin, is also aiming to get psilocybin on the market by 2021. So really, psychedelic medicine is right around the corner. Of course, uh, ketamine clinics are already expanding all across the country, ketamine infusions for depression, showing a lot of promise. And the FDA recently approved S-ketamine, which is a component of ketamine for depression. So this really, um, it's already happening. And I don't know about, I mean, I don't know about other psychedelics um, and when those will be approved. I mean, the very, very first uh, FDA-approved study looking at ayahuasca is slated to get started, I don't know, in the next, probably in the next couple of years. A researcher named Liana Standish at Bastyr University has been working for the last 20 years to get that going. And as far as I know, and I could be wrong, I, I don't know of any rigorous studies trying to get LSD through the FDA approval process. The My understanding is that LSD and psilocybin really can be used for, for a lot of the same conditions and that researchers sort of during the, the, the beginning of the psychedelic renaissance made the strategic decision to invest in psilocybin instead of LSD because it doesn't last as long (laughs) and it just takes a lot more resources to have, you know, to sit with someone for 10 to 12 hours instead of six to eight. And because of the cultural baggage that comes along with LSD. I did, you know, I, I always love the conversation 
about how modern medicine has failed us in so many ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how pharmaceutical companies aren't necessarily looking at our best interests Mm -hmm. when they're just prescribing a whole bunch of bullshit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like we almost have that reactionary health system now. And Mm -hmm. and that is very drug forward, right? Because there is no proactive sense of, you know, take care of yourself. Don't, you know, this and that. And it it is more and more now, but in the past, you know, you go to a doctor and it's here, take this pill. Yeah. So. Okay, you have a problem. Here's a solution. Not like preventative. Exactly. Preventative Mm -hmm. um, medicines. So, yeah, hopefully we'll see that as we move forward here. You know, and it's just going to be really hard. I think it's going to take a long time to get people's fears to go away about yeah. psychedelics. Yeah, well, the the major challenge of both cannabis and psychedelics at this point is going to be changing public perception because there, I don't want to call it lies, but there has been, you know, decades of misinformation, we'll call it, um, of what the actual effects of these plant-based medicines might be and what their potential outcomes could be. Uh, I don't know. Obviously, it's it's driven by a multitude of forces, most of them monetarily. But um, hopefully, moving forward, those public perceptions will will shift. And I think it's going to have to be science driven because people just won't take your and my word for it. They're going to need to read a CDC study saying, "Yes, psychedelics and cannabis can help with PTSD or pain or what have you." So we'll see. Yeah, we'll be here reporting on all that for you. Well, and, and looking into the future, we, this is a question we ask all of our cannabis interviewees. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, well, we should probably ask our psychedelic interviewees the one, five, and ten-year predictions. My favorite question. Exactly. And it's a really hard question to answer in cannabis, even harder in psychedelics. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, so I definitely think we're going to see more on the wave of decriminalization, at least within the year. So probably the listeners know, but Denver decriminalized psilocybin, and then Oakland went one step further and decriminalized psilocybin and all entheogenic plants. (laughs) So I think that we're going to see more cities trying to do that. I know there's also decriminalized California, which is in the works, and maybe I know people in Los Angeles has been talking about it, though I don't know if it would pass immediately. So yeah, within the next year, more decrim bills. Within the next five years, for sure, we're going to, and Shelby already alluded to this, but we're going to see most likely FDA approval of MDMA and possibly psilocybin. And then in 10 years, I don't know, that's, I'm not, I'm not (laughs) so far. so if I just want everything to be legal and decriminalized and I want there to be an equitable, fair industry that includes everybody. <laughs> but, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in 10 years, gosh, it's, it's so hard to predict, but um, Rick Doblin, who's the founder of, of maps often says that um, medicalization precedes legalization. And so we've, you know, of course we have seen that with, with cannabis. And I know that it's uh, sort of the dream of MAPS and a lot of um, longtime psychedelic researchers to see psychedelic clinics, as it were, all across the country, where people can go and they can take psychedelics 
legally in a supportive setting. Oregon, there's an initiative, the Oregon Psilocybin Society. Is that what it's called, Madison? OPS. I think so. I and they so. are um, they are aiming to get psilocybin legalized for medical purposes um, next year. And awesome. if that bill goes through, then there actually will be psychedelic clinics in Oregon for psilocybin. Mm-hmm. Wow! And there are already That's- ibogaine clinics um, at different different parts of the world really. I don't know. Dana Beal, who's a longtime cannabis activist and now Ibogaine activist, has already had his hands in trying to help facilitate a clinic, hopefully in Oakland soon. Um, he's talked about a clinic in Kabor, where, you know, places basically where there's a lot of opioid abuse going on. So and that, yeah. A lot of similarities in cannabis yep. and psychedelics. I mean, you're sort of seeing what happened in cannabis happen, at least with psilocybin right now. Yeah. Like th- those beginning stages almost of, of what was going on in, um, you know, between 2008, 2010, at least here, um, but also in California where it starts. Every, it, all of this has to start medically as we talk about and then move to recreationally. So it's, exactly. it's very interesting. Cannabis is extremely interesting. Uh, psilocybin is going to be an entirely different beast because it is an entirely different beast, but that'll be, that'll be another cool one to follow for sure. Yeah. We should do like psychedelic Sunday or something and just have like an, (laughs) 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 not like, not like taking psychedelics, (laughs) but we should do like a psychedelic Sunday podcast where it's like updates in the psychedelic industry. Yeah. That's besides the point. Hopefully there are enough advancements that, we can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's going to be an interesting thing to follow. And that's really where Double Blind comes in. Yeah. As reporters, you know, they're, they're keeping a really close eye on the industry mm-hmm. while also producing a really beautiful piece of work. Like the Double Blind magazine is, is artistic and just nice. interesting to look at. You want to rip that's out nice. every page and frame it and hang it on your wall. Nice. That's very cool. <laughs> yeah. So... What's next? Um, I wanted to briefly touch on just what's going on outside of the U.S. Yeah. Because the industry is really exciting in the U.S. with things getting decriminalized. But there have been things, psychedelic things going on outside of the U.S. for way, way, way longer. Oh, yeah? Um, Well, of course. I mean, Mm -hmm. for millennia, people have been using plant medicine. Never, never, never. But a lot of places are, are looser on it. Mm-hmm. So I asked Shelby and Madison to give us a little rundown of different cultures, what's going on outside of the U.S., where can we have these experiences where it's legal. So they gave us a little rundown. Right, right. I mean, we didn't even talk about what's happening outside of the United States, which, of course, um, you know, there's, there's lots of, of psychedelic sort of retreats and things that are popping up because there are so many people, right. Because there are so many people who are interested in doing this stuff now and they don't necessarily want to wait until it's legal in the United States. So we have, you know, I began clinics in Mexico. We have psilocybin retreat, a psilocybin retreat in Jamaica. Amsterdam has a 
just exploding psilocybin retreat slash ceremony center scene. And then of course, there's all of the ayahuasca retreats that are happening in the Amazon and that will continue to grow. So yeah, Shelby and Madison gave us a little rundown of the psychedelic clinics outside of the U.S. and mm-hmm. sort of what's just going on in other places. It's really interesting. Yeah. I think we might need to go to one. Uh, 100%. I've, I've honestly always wanted to try an ayahuasca ceremony. Um, not, not that I have like an addiction issue or anything like that. Just more, more just to see what's on the other side. I've also never taken peyote. I've always thought that would be kind of interesting to go like find my spirit animal, but acid and mushrooms, you know, recreationally with friends at concerts, things like that. It's always been kind of a positive experience for me. I have had a challenging trip. Um, but even that I've, I've found interesting. Right. Yeah. And we will have to research this as well, but what the the LD or the lethal dose of a lot of these things are, I I don't know off the top of my head. Um, Yeah. Well, and it is very different from cannabis. Cannabis is like, there basically is no lethal dose. Yeah. You'd have to actively try and kill yourself with cannabis and in a medical setting intravenously in order to Mm -hmm. actually make that happen. But you can get yourself into trouble with some of these different psychedelics. Mm -hmm. You can end up in a psych ward. Yeah. Like it it does have that effect on your brain, especially if you have pre existing conditions. Yeah. Which again comes back to situational and set and, and how setting. You're set and setting. There we go. Yeah. Well, and that's that's one of the questions I actually asked next was just common misconceptions mm-hmm. and how do we how people have perceived these medicines for so long, um, and how to change those perceptions or if we should change them. Just a little rundown of of the fears, the most common fears. Uh, well, I think, you know, people, I think a lot of people, for lack of a better word, have been a little bit shaken up or traumatized by the 60s in that a lot of people were taking psychedelics in dubious environments, but a lot of people, you know, it was just, it was so casual. And, you know, there's this whole rhetoric around the quote unquote, bad trip. And I think people who might not have a lot of experience with psychedelics or might be scared of them might just think of, oh, you can have a bad trip and go crazy and lose your mind. Mm -hmm. And I want to kind of acknowledge that like in its face, I've, you know, I've been through my own challenging trips. I've seen people end up in the psych ward, you know, after difficult psychedelic experiences. It's not, it's not a joke and it is something to be afraid of. But I think that the way that people start to even changing the rhetoric from bad trip to challenging experience or showing or basically being able to do psychedelic, start over. I think there needs to be more of a harm reduction approach in how we approach and how we talk about psychedelics and how we do psychedelics. So if the casual um, person or the casual consumer or the everyday person doesn't know that much about psychedelics. Maybe they don't know about set and setting, um, which is basically psychedelics 101. Um, make sure you're in a good headspace. Uh, you know, make sure you don't have any sort of pre-existing psychological conditions like schizophrenia that could be triggered and make sure you're doing it with the right people. Um, the more people integrate that as a basic into doing psychedelics, I think the more people are going to have um, more, res- you know, more responsible experiences and hopefully more profound experiences. Um, but there's really a lot to, um, a lot that needs to, I think, 
the sorry I'm now I like what I want you're fine what I'm what I'm trying to say and I'll repeat this or maybe Shelby will step in is that like I think there needs to be like more um intentionality around taking psychedelics and treating these substances not necessarily as party drugs um but as really profound uh entheogenic plants or pills or whatever that really have the power to change your life and when you when you really respect them and revere them in that way you're more likely to have a more intentional maybe conscious experience whether or not that's completely blissful or challenging or whatever but treating them as medicines rather than as drugs or something that will make you crazy just sort of um, shifts the way people go into the experience. I think changing the rhetoric is important. It's something that we're doing with cannabis and something that needs to be done with psychedelics if we're going to move forward. Yeah, kind of that idea of using cannabis instead of marijuana. Mm -hmm. Um, Using challenging trip instead of bad trip. Yeah, And understanding this is a plant medicine, not Mm -hmm. just like, let's get fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Which is part of it, but, you know. Maybe changing it to hmm. let's take a break, or let's have from a reality. Yeah, and an ex, a profound experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. All right, well, we're, I'm going to start using those terms instead of the common colloquial college. Yeah, rhetoric. Exactly. Let's get fucking torched, bruh. <laughs> no more of that. So a lot yeah. of good information, and and that's you know really so much to digest in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So I just ended with getting a little bit of information on their magazine, what people can expect to see if they purchase one Mm -hmm. and where they can purchase. So we just launched, uh, was it last week? Gosh, Um, time is moving so fast. The first weekend of June. The first weekend of June, we launched, um, at the World Ayahuasca Conference in Spain, which was an absolutely incredible experience. And I have to give a shout out to ICERS, the NGO that um, that facilitated that conference. 40 um, plus indigenous people from the Amazon were there talking about plant medicines. Absolutely amazing. And then uh, Madison was at Shakruna's Queering Psychedelics Conference in the Bay, which is the first conference highlighting queer voices in the psychedelic community. Also an amazing, amazing organization put that on, Shakruna, run by anthropologist Bia Labache. And um, so anyway, I'm I'm digressing a little bit, but I just have to give shout outs to these psychedelic allies because there's so many incredible people working in this space. Um, So we launched there at those events the first week of June, and now um, our issues are available online, our inaugural issue. And um, they'll also be available later this summer um, in various brick and mortars in major metropolitan areas, New York, LA, New Orleans. So stay tuned, check out our website for that. In August, we're going to be rolling out online content. Um, and in December, we are slated to have our second print issue. And well, you can... Fo- Thank you. Oh, you can follow along at Double Blind Mag uh, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And if, for orders, it's just doubleblindmag.com. And I'll toss links for all of this in the blog post that will come out with the podcast Congratulations on your new magazine and business. And thank you so much for joining me today, ladies. Thank you. Thank you.
Really appreciate it. So we learned so much about psychedelics and we're yeah. about to learn more and more and more. Well, this is the cool part about these things going from, you know, perceived illicit dangerous substances to then semi accepted as medical or psychedelic treatment or socio-psychedelic PTSD treatments, things like that. Um, I'm just going to cut out that because I was rambling bad. But the interesting thing to see when these things come from a an illicit nature and the positive potential of them is being realized, there's going to be so much to learn and so much, so much to change. So that's when why we we're here. we actually get some research done. Yep. Um, come on, FDA and NIDA, get your shit together. Um, but yeah, we'll be here to report on it. I think we will include some more uh, information about the psychedelic industry as it evolves, and we'll probably talk to Double Blind again, but this is another one of those, man, it's a good time to be alive because it's going to be a really interesting story as it unfolds. So. Yeah, fascinating stuff. And if Double Blind does what they are promising to do, I'm excited to see their reporting in just a really open look at every single side kind of thing what we yeah. what we try and do here at the Mary Jane experience mm -hmm. did they talk about their psychedelic use at all they did yeah I did ask them about their personal use mm -hmm. and they have both done psychedelics mm -hmm. and they both have had very life-changing altering experiences mm -hmm. as well as challenging experiences yeah and you know Kind of, kind of a common story. Like there, there's some good and some bad. So now the dog is barking. Well, the dog is restless, so we're gonna wrap it up here. This has been a, another production of the Mary Jane Experience podcast with your hosts Casey Jones and Strawberry Sequoia. As always, thank you for the listen. Please like, share, and follow our podcast so that this wonderful information can get out to more and more people. That's why we're here. We're here to give an honest, unbiased look at cannabis industry, as well as the psychedelic developments in medicine. Um, follow us on the website, maryjaneexperience.com. Anywhere on social media, you can definitely find us. Just Google the Mary Jane Experience. You'll find it. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns about today's episodes or future episodes, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Anything else? Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, no, We stars. really do love you all and appreciate the support. It also, always accepting suggestions for topics or people that you'd like to hear interviewed. So. Yeah. Or if you'd like to get interviewed yourself, reach out to us. Yeah, we might say yes. Sounds good. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy. Right. Peace out, potheads. I'm not saying go take mushrooms right away, but I'm saying... Get a good group of friends, maybe in the right place, set either in Denver setting, or remember? Oakland. Set and setting, remember, <laughs> set and setting. One thing that I remember in college, I'll just leave this. First time I took psychedelics, a hippie Mike who gave them to us, he was our drug dealer. Um, the one thing he said, he said, you are a master of your own destiny when it comes to psychedelics. If you go into it with having any, if you were like having a bad day and you have some negative thoughts, do not take mushrooms. But if it's a Saturday and you ain't got nothing to do and you want to go on a hike and go talk to a tree, by all means. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be my last bit of advice when it comes to psychedelics. It's very true. Mindset anyway. 
is everything, people you're with, where you are. Like, I need to be in nature. Yeah. Uh, Even sometimes when I'm just, like, really high. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be walking around town where there's a whole bunch of people. Mm -hmm. Nature is where it's at. Grocery stores are the worst when I'm super high. It's terrifying in there. (laughs) Anyway. It's the lighting. (laughs) It is. It's that, like, bad fluorescent lighting and shitty air conditioning. All right. Well, look forward to our next episode as well, where we interviewed Fabrizio Pamplona. The aging brain and the use of cannabis to potentially help Alzheimer's and what's happening in Brazil. We're going to know more. You're going to know more. It's going to be fun. Anyway. We love you guys. Peace out. Bye-bye.